Hi, it's Tony Kornheiser. The podcast is coming up in just a moment, but the sales weasels have got some sponsorships up front. Being around sports media and a fan of, oh, my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run to the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And at one point on the number one handicap hole on the course number eight, I got a 4-2. I won. I made $15 with him. <laughs> he was my partner. I got a 4-2. And the people in the pro shop said, you should be embarrassed getting two shots on a hole. I said, he's the Delaware Open champ. <laughs> Did you tell the you shop about, your, about your run of holes from 7 through 12? <laughs> oh, no, that was the next day. Oh, that was the next day. I'm not talking well, about that Well, that's the Wednesday today. podcast. I'm nice. I'm not talking about that today. <laughs> This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's Wednesday. You've waited. Now I get the chance to talk We've been waiting patiently. about my stretch 7 through 12 on Saturday. But let me just say that yeah, it was Pat and George, and they just laughed at me that I, that I got a 4-2. Again, the guys that Your handicap is hard for people to accept, because if you just watch you play off of the tee, you look like you should be a, a, like a low teens. But I'm not. I, I know. You, you're actually very accurate with your scores. Yeah. I mean. You I, post. I stink. You know, I can't get out of the sand. And I hit a lot of shots on the ground. But let me tell you what happened on Saturday. We go out there. And on Saturday, I'm playing with people my own age. Uh, I'm not playing with young kids. An appropriate grouping. Yeah. I'm playing with Mario Rocha and Michael DeSimone and Eddie Jackson. Okay. So we're all around the same age. Ed and I are probably older than those two. But. You know, we're all playing from the up tees. We know what we're doing. We have this game in which it's a $5 game, and you, after six holes, you switch partners. So everyone gets to play together for six holes against the others for six holes, and you keep track of what's going on. In the first six holes, I was playing with Mario, and we were up two with one to go. We had closed it out. We had won. So they pressed. Michael and Ed pressed. And Michael won. And went full He full won Sheehan. number six. So, I That's mean. Great. So, That's where it should be. So it's totally even. Totally even at that point. Seven through 12. And I probably had, I don't know, a triple, a couple of doubles, 
maybe one par on the first six holes. And for non-golfers, this is a way that if one person's having a bad day, you know, it, it means everyone can pick yeah, you up. Your partner can pick you up, and you're supporting the the entire group over a four-hour round. Right. On the second six, which is seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I'm playing with Ed Jackson. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Seven, I can't believe I'm doing this. Seven is a short par four. It's about, I don't know, 280 yards from the Oh, from your tees, yes. But it's a difficult hole. The second shot is difficult because the entire green is surrounded by bunkers. There's only one small path up if you hit the ball on the ground, and you can't, none of us can drive the ball long enough to get to where we have a shot directly at the middle of the green if we hit something bad. We're gonna, you have to go high. You have to go high and you have to avoid the bunkers. And it's a narrow green on an angle. Yes, an angle, yes. I hit, I don't know, the best six iron of my life. And I landed it on the green about 20 feet on top of the hole so that my putt is a swinging putt downhill right to left. Downhill right to left. Amazingly, I made it. I birdied the hole. Total luck. Birdied the hole. So we're up one. Number eight is the hardest hole on the course by handicap. I doubled the hole. I didn't do very much on that. I doubled the hole. I probably probably should have had a five, um, and I could have gotten, you know, I could have helped the team, but I doubled. I got Longer a par four for, for dad. Yeah, it's hard. And a split, and a split tier green. Yeah. Number nine is a par five coming back to the clubhouse. Uh, it's reachable in three. It's about a 400 from where we play, about a 450-yard hole. It's reachable in three. It's not reachable in two. Not for us. I hit a good drive, and I hit a good second shot. I'm 110 yards out on the left-hand side, and I take an eight iron. I'm into the wind. I take an eight iron, and I hit a ball that isn't very good. It's sort of low. It, it, it it's bounces a couple of times, but the, the angle of it bounces very well so that I'm coming in from the right side and it is bouncing right. So I think I'm going to get on the green. I'm pretty happy about this because it's a bad shot. Pinball wizard. It's a bad shot. and I'm going to get on the green. I watch it get on the green and it's moving directly to the right. And the next thing I know, I don't see the ball anymore. And Michael, who's on the other side, says, I think that went in. And I said, I think that went in, too. And it went, and you always check, because if you go past, if you go the, past the hole, you're right in the bunker. You know, but I didn't see it. And it went in. I had an eagle. It's the third eagle of my life, and one of them I never saw. So it's the second one I've ever seen because it was the drop green or something. You know, I just didn't see the ball. Your first eagle is at our golf trip that we took That's 20, right. almost 25 Indian years Creek. ago. That's the one I never saw. So I, Uphill I, second shot into the sun. Yeah. So I'm so thrilled. Now, and now, now I am minus one on seven, eight, You're and nine. You're feeling it, grooving it. Seven, eight, and nine. I then par 10, 11, and 12. I par them all. We win. You know, they press, they lose, because I'm foolish to I'm press at this playing point. playing great. You're dropping 30-footers for birdie making eagles. So I go, I go minus one on those six holes. The magic wears off the next, the next group. The next six holes, I'm probably 12 over. 
I'm, I'm certainly ten over on the next six. Well, holes. At that point, your round's ten. done. You've already yeah. had your. You've already and had I, your. And that was the best six holes I ever had in my life. Now, and when, what did I do? I called you. I have a great <laughs> ninety-second voice. I have a collection of voicemails from you. Nothing's as be- as good as the the moose boots voicemail from when we were up in Boston and there was a blizzard coming. Yeah. Duck boots, you're going to need moose boots. <laughs> uh, but I need to find a way to archive all these voicemails. When something like this happens and you hit that shot, your third shot in. Are you loud? Are you jumping up and down? No, nothing. I are just, you, I just. Oh my god! Do you ever get god, outside your body in. and be like, I should be more excited for this. This is a, you know, this is a once in a lifetime shot. I, I went in. I was, I was excited, but it's not like a hole in one. Everybody knows what a hole in one is, and I've never had a hole in one. Um, but it was, it was really exciting. I mean, it, it just dropped in, you know, and you go, wow, it's not going across the green on the trajectory it's supposed to. And as you guys drew, drove up, you knew it was in, so you went directly to the hole. You didn't have to do that. You know, let me check behind the green just no, in case. I walked right onto the green to see, and it was in did the you hole. stare down the uh, And opponent? I had somebody saw it. You know, Michael saw it, so I felt really good about that. I wasn't sort of inventing it. Now, so did you was... celebrate by going to IHOP and getting a short stack? No, I did not. <laughs> oh, it's not your birthday. <laughs> no, it's not my birthday. No, I... But I made money again. So, like, I made $15 on the day. You threatened to quit PTI so you could continue making money on the tour. Yeah, I thought if I quit my job and I could make $15 a day, I'd be very happy. Because you wouldn't make it every day. So, and... and oh, with your handicap. By the way, Binghamton played Northwestern on Monday night, right? Monday night. Yes, that's we right. Would, we were 19 and a half point underdogs, and I said to Mike on the air... Um, I need more than that. I said, can we give me 25? And he said, no, I'm not giving you 25. And I said, will you give me 27? And he said, no. <laughs> and we, we lost by 11, so we covered. That's yes. really good for Binghamton. Go to Northwestern, a beautiful, beautiful gym. And a great trip for the kids. Yeah, it's really, really nice. So we, we did very well. Um, and then I, what did I do? So I watched the Jets game, you know. And, and the Jets are terrible. They're a terrible team on offense. They're just terrible. They have nothing. If they don't have Aaron Rodgers and they have Zach Wilson, he's not a proficient NFL quarterback. Do you realize that they have eight offensive touchdowns in eight games? I mean, if Aaron Rodgers played in a boot, they'd have more touchdowns than that. I think he's trying to play in a boot. (laughs) And I realize there are so many. Still warming up on the field. They're really bad teams in the league. I wrote down bad teams. The Jets are a bad team. The Giants are a bad team. The Broncos. The Buccaneers, mm-hmm. the Panthers, the Rams, Cardinals. the Cardinals, the Packers, the, the Bears, the Vikings, the Colts, the Falcons, Washington, New England, Tennessee, they're all under. Do you think, do you think this under. is a product of the 17-game schedule and just the tax of the, the out-of-the-country games? I hadn't thought of that. I just think in terms of like you, you sort of you, you break down the season into quarters, and obviously you want to get off to a fast, fast start. Right. But if you're sort of at that 500 or just below, are you just trying to cruise to make sure you don't have any major injuries and then uh, see where you are if you, if you have a chance for the wild card going into the final stretch? I mean, yes. Yeah, so the, the, we are now, you now know, into you know the second You know who is likely going to win most of the divisions. Or at least like the final two teams. Like, yeah, I think the final two. I don't think you really know. I, don't, I mean, for example, there's like... There are disappointing teams. I mean, Buffalo and San Francisco are yeah. disappointing with their records. They're better than this, but they're not winning. The only two teams that are out there where you say, uh, you know, I could see this coming. I think you could see it coming with Philadelphia because they were in the Super Bowl last year. You could see it coming. And I think, I think once they settled, once Lamar Jackson settled back in 
and that without the controversy, without the worry about the contract, I think you could see that coming, that they were a good team. Maybe not this good, but that they were a good team. But the rest of the league, you look around and you say, who's really good? And I don't know that there's anyone like that. Right? I don't know. So anyway, um, the, that was – I wrote all those things down because we had a Sports Center segment yesterday, which is what is the biggest surprises in the NFL first half. And I thought that there were a lot of bad teams. And the other surprise is C.J. Stroud, who's oh, sure. been fabulous at Houston. The second overall pick. And if you're Carolina and you took – <laughs> Bryce Young, is that his name, Bryce Young, right? Yeah, that's right. You're probably wondering, did we make the wrong pick here? Did we make the wrong pick? All right, um, let me get out of here. Chuck Todd, when we return, right? That's yes, right. Chuck Todd. I'm that's Tony right. Kornheiser. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Andrew Flowers, a millennial little who's a pastor of the Midtown Fellowship in Lexington, South Carolina. And he writes, it's a gift to have good friends. And I'm excited to again share new music from good friends with great gifts. This is the second time I've sent music in from Kimberly Walsh. And these two songs are singles from her sophomore album, Fever Dream. The Outside and See the Good are available now anywhere you stream music. The full album will release everywhere on December 1st. This is called The Outside. And you can see why people like Kimberly Walsh record music. Because <laughs> they have beautiful voices. <laughs> yeah. Just beautiful voices. They play in Chuck Todd. And before we get to Chuck, I'm going to read this email from J.D. Hewitt in Oxford, Mississippi. I read with interest an article in Oxford, Mississippi's local newspaper, the Chuck Todd, was speaking at Old Miss's School of Journalism on Monday, November 6th. The newspaper purported that Chuck would be discussing trust, news, and American politics. Not sure how Chuck worked his record versus a monkey into that topic, but I'm eagerly anticipating Reginald's rebuttal speech, Bets, Bananas, and Bud Grant. Did you, in fact, speak in Oxford, the home of William I did, Faulkner? And, and how I was don't it? Know if, I, I don't know if that, that young man is the young man that came up and uh, gave me the lachiserie. I've spent all of October... Every weekend, since I have my weekends back, um, on another college campus. Uh-huh. I've been at Stanford. I did Arkansas. I did Miami. I did uh, Ole Miss. And in each case, I've done a journalism school and gotten a football game out of it. So it was my first Ole Miss football game, the Grove, that whole experience. That's fabulous. Yeah. Spent That's a, a rival to LSU and Alabama. It is. People it was love something that. else. It yeah. was great. I had, we, I had a great time. Spent about two hours with Curtis Wilkie. Oh, you remember yeah. Curtis Wilkie? Yeah, yeah. He lives there. He's an Ole Miss guy. Um, it was, it was fun to K. He was one of the, one of the boys on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, all good. 
I'm glad you did no. that. I'm no, it was great. They, uh, I see why when people go to Oxford, they don't leave. Um, I mean, it's a very, uh, it's a, my cousin is a teacher there, and, and he says there's a saying, they call it a velvet ditch. Um, but, but there is something about people get there and they don't want to leave. I got to ask you one other question. We had off year elections, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing on a federal level, I guess a governor here or there and some, and local issues. Was there anything last night that stood out where you would say, this is something to pay attention to? A hundred percent. And that is the, you know, essentially the closing arguments, generic Republican versus generic Democrat was, Uh, abortion rights, the Democrats saying, hey, those guys are going to take away your access to abortion. And Republicans were trying to run on the economy, Biden's unpopularity and all of that. And in just about every case, the abortion message is what won out. And this is now ever since Dobbs, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Every single election we've had, whether it was the midterms, whether they're special elections, the the Democratic candidate that is messaged on abortion has either won or overperformed. So, look, for all the hand-wringing about Biden, and people are not happy about Biden, the individual, abortion clearly appears to be a lot more important to voters right now than anything else. That's good to know. All right, here we go. We're going to get in. You had a losing week, three and four, but you're 37-24-2, so you're still doing great. And we'll start with Houston at Cincinnati. Houston is getting seven. Houston had a spectacular performance from C.J. Stroud. He won the game with a touchdown pass with six seconds to go, uh, but it was not against a particularly good team. He's the rookie of the year by unanimous acclamation. He's got 14 touchdown passes and only one interception. Rookies don't do this. Rookies don't do it, particularly rookies from Ohio State. There's never been a great Ohio State quarterback in the NFL. But you go into Cincinnati against a kid who actually started at Ohio State and then left and went to LSU and I think had he and Cam Newton had the two greatest years I can remember in the last 25 years. And Cincinnati is hot right now. Maybe it's a trap game for Cincinnati. Houston gets seven. Seven. Yeah, that's that. That's the the, yeah, it it, it is. Um, This is one of those where I feel like. Houston's on a roll, and they're due for a, all right, we got to be reminded they're still a young team. But I feel the same way about Cincinnati, right? They've been on such a roll, they're sort of due for a yep. uh, a letdown game. Um, and I really like this coach at Houston, uh, D'Amico, D'Amico Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, he, he, he gets them ready to play. He knows what he's doing on defense. Uh, give, me the, give, me, give me Houston in the points. Okie dokie. Green Bay, team you have great familiarity with, is at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has been outgained in every single game, and they are still 5-3. and That division, Cincinnati's in last place, and I think they can go to the Super Bowl. I don't think Green Bay's very good at all. That's just me. Green Bay getting three at Pittsburgh. So, you know, what we've had a couple weeks in a row where we'll have a game and we'll be like, well, this one won't have any points. Isn't that this game on our slate? Yeah. Like, yep. This is the yep. under. This is the take it to the bank. No one's scoring any points in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't trust Green Bay to score, and I don't trust Pittsburgh to cover. I mean, it, it's – it's. I, I'm going to take Green Bay here because I think it's uh, – I just think – I just don't – like I said, I don't – Pittsburgh shouldn't have covered last week, and they only did essentially by accident. So give me, give me the Packers in this. Okay. 
Cleveland goes to Baltimore. Baltimore at the moment is no worse than the second best team in the NFL with Philadelphia. Or maybe they're even better. They allow fewer points than any team in the league. Cleveland has a very good defense and has won five games. Uh, Cleveland is getting six points. I like Baltimore to win, but these are defensive teams. Six points seems like Mm -hmm. a lot. Who do you like? And it's a division game. Yes, it is. I mean, how many times have we seen these division games where where the underdog always finds it's a a one-score game? You know, I I was betting on the sort of the Baltimore. They always have that where they let their foot off the gas game. And I'll admit, I thought it was going to be last week. Uh, I don't buy that they let up their foot off the gas. But I don't know, though. I can't. You know what? No. I I can't stand that Cleveland offense. Deshaun Watson. Right. Yeah. No, give me Baltimore. I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I know I make a mistake here, but no, I wouldn't. I, can't, I was not going to let you take Cleveland. Do it. I wouldn't. Okay. I, I, I shouldn't let you take Houston, but that's your choice. I wouldn't let you take. Houston. Well, I just, I just want to hear you say Houston over and over again. <laughs> I love the way you say Houston. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, New Orleans is at Minnesota. New Orleans is a favorite at Minnesota. Minnesota has some magic, uh, or had certainly had magic. Last week, New Orleans is okay. They're not better than okay. They're not a particularly good road team, but isn't Minnesota, is Minnesota an indoor stadium or did they move outdoors yes. completely? That's well, an indoor stadium. So, oh, wait, no, 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 no. They, they go outdoors. I, I think, think they're outdoors. Is it a roof? Might be a I don't roof. know. I don't know what it is. I know I used to go to games at the Metrodome and I don't know what this is. So, Houston, uh, not Houston, New Orleans minus two and a half at Minnesota without Kirk Cousins. But with Josh Dobbs, right? Who was great? Was he not? Was he not great? He's a rocket scientist. Yeah, is he not great? He's a rocket scientist, right? I don't know that. Is that true? That's what he went to school for. Aerospace. Yeah, I think he he was a major in aerospace engineering. Wow. Which may explain why he could take a playbook in two days and and um, that was that was remarkable. He didn't expect to play. He didn't know the plays. They were telling him the routes they were going to run in the huddle. And he made it so work. This, so this game's kind of difficult for me for a weird reason. I have a long-term bet, and you'll enjoy this, where I bet that the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Vikings would not make the playoffs. And if I'm right, it's a pretty nice payday. Yes. Um, yes. But this is a pretty important game in that bet. Minnesota and, and the Saints, I think I need a Minnesota win here. I think you do, too. To, to, to bring down the bring down the saints on this um that's which tells me i should take the saints so you <laughs> and, yeah. and plus there's the whole all right we're all sort of high on josh Dobbs. maybe we ought to bring it down bring it down a a, a notch or two right. and and the, and the saints have a good defense they do play pretty good defense so you will take new orleans I okay will. all right san francisco is at jacksonville san francisco could be buffalo at this point where you just watch them falter right in front of your eyes. Jacksonville's coming out of a bye week, I'm pretty sure. Jacksonville's got a really good record, got a really good quarterback, and finally has a real coach, uh, not that guy from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I thought San Francisco had the most talent in the league, so I, I don't know where to go here. San Francisco is a road favorite, minus three. I'm with you. I thought that, that three points, I don't know what to do with it. 
Um, I'll be honest, this is the probably the game I'm looking forward to the most to watch. Yeah, good game. I'm just I'm very curious. Um, I think Jacksonville gets undersold a lot. Um, I, I have I've stared at this game ever since uh, Nigel sent it to me, and you're just like, oh, yeah. No, no matter what I pick, I start to talk myself into the other team. I, I'm going to go with Shanahan because they really need the win. They, I feel like they, they need it more than than they Jacksonville. Do. I agree. Oh, give, give me them. I agree with that. Uh, Detroit is at the Chargers. You saw the Chargers against the Jets. The Chargers, I don't know. They don't look like much to me. Not to me. Detroit, I think, is coming out of a bye week. Detroit is minus two and a half. Me, personally, I would jump on Detroit, but maybe I'm crazy. I completely agree. I don't think right. so at all. This, this, is one, this is one of the few games I have no like hesitation on. Chargers yeah. don't beat yeah. good teams. <laughs> they just don't. They never beat a good team. Detroit's a good team. This will be, you know, maybe it's a touchdown, but this will, this will be a Detroit win. That's what I think, too. And then we'll give you uh, Washington is getting six and a half at Seattle. Seattle is back home. They came east, played Baltimore, mm-hmm. got waxed. I mean, they just thought with well, 37-3, they were just destroyed by Seattle, uh, by, by Baltimore. Yeah. Washington goes across the country, <clears throat> excuse me, coming off a win, getting six and a half points. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in them. Maybe others do. But you've been beaten in the Washington games been. a I, bunch. A bunch. I yeah. have. Yeah. You tell me, who was trying to lose that game against the Patriots? It was, was, it was not very good. <laughs> it was just not very good. Was it it a t- did, do you think they were, like, each trying to out-tank to tank, the other? You know. Yeah. But does it, is Washington, what's their record now? Are they 5-4? and four? Somehow, or four and five. I don't, you know, the NFL is populated They're with all, bad everybody's teams. Everybody's four and five. Bad Have you teams. Noticed that? Look bad at the teams. records. Yeah. Everybody's four and four, four and five, three yeah. and five, three and Bad yeah. teams. Bad teams. Yeah. And, and I don't, what I don't get is how does some guy named Tommy DeVito, <laughs> I again, I go that. back. We watch a lot of college football. You watch it. I've never I heard of him. There are so many. When you hear that the guy, Here's what I've understood about Tommy DeVito, who apparently it's the same name from Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. Oh, is that right? Which is fantastic and true. That's a huge, important (laughs) nugget, right? That's true. Um, It's it's one of those that it's too good to check, so I haven't yet. Um, But he he lost the job at Syracuse. I just... Okay, all right. So how come the Syracuse guy, whoever he lost the job to, my point is, where are all the other quarterbacks that these guys lose out to that, that don't make it to the NFL? I don't understand why there's such bad. Carson Wentz has a job now. Did you see that? Yes, he does. He's with the Rams. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Anyway, I, I'm, I can't bet on, uh, on, on Washington. I just, and plus, Seattle, ha, speaking of a have to win. Have to win. Yeah, that's a have to win for them. They, they so, do. They have to win. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I would do that. All right. Thank you, Chuck. Good luck. All right. By the way, yeah. you got, I got La Chisa Reed in Fayetteville multiple times. That's great. In Oxford, as you now know, in Miami. And it's, I, wherever I've gone, I've gotten at least one La Chisa Reed. That's remarkable. I have no yeah. idea who listens to the show, but I'm grateful. I am. But it's I'm quite grateful. a few. It's yeah. quite a few. And yeah. they, they all are using the code, people. It's all good. right. Goodbye. Thank you, Chuck. Chuck Todd. And if we just gave you Chuck Todd, that would be more than enough. But we give you a monkey. See the monkey. He's spritz, spritz. 
always scratching, watching his iPad, smoking and laughing, hanging with Bud Grant, tap, tap, tapping on his purple attache. Nigel's going to the zoo. Zoo, 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 zoo. Reginald's got the vibes. Side two, two. Sometimes he throws poo, poo, poo. And he's had too much Johnny, Johnny Walker blue. blue. So what happened? Did you see him at the zoo? Yes, I went down to the zoo. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, he was with Connor Stallions. Um, really? And they were going. Yeah, they were practicing semaphore, Morse code, and smoke signals. Fantastic. And for some reason, I'm not even sure Bobby Vinton was there. I think he's just rooming with Reginald. I'm not sure what his purpose there was. Bobby Vinton? Really? Yes. Yeah, Red roses for a blue lady, Bobby Vinton. <laughs> That's really yes. Reginald was two and one last week. He's now nine seventeen and one. He finally had a winning week. What does he have? So the first match we gave him, he was very excited about having that first winning week. Uh, and the first match we gave him was Cincinnati at home, giving seven to Houston. And uh, Reginald showed me a lovely photograph of him skydiving with George Foster, Ken Anderson. And Jerry Springer, the former mayor of Cincinnati. Yes, so that tells yes. me he is going to take the Bengals and lay the seven points. I would, too. I would, now, too. Now, the next match we gave him was Pittsburgh at home giving three to Green Bay. And this was a lovely photograph in, in the newspaper of Reginald sitting eating Primanti sandwiches with Mel Blunt, Lynn Swan, and Jack Lambert, who, by the way, was eating several sandwiches at the same time. So, so we're going Pittsburgh. He's going, going Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. All yeah. right. And it's a great sandwich. People need to try that if they haven't. Uh, and the last one, Primanti. of course, we gave him... Isn't it pronounced Primanti, not Primanti? Primanti. Isn't it Primanti, I think? I don't know. I thought You were probably right, yes. Well, I don't know, because I can't pronounce like Orion, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so the last match we gave him was the Seahawks at home, giving six and a half to the Washington football team. Uh, and this is another lovely photo of him uh, at the Pike uh, Place Market, just tossing fish, having a blast with Jim Zorn, Xavier McDaniel, and Steve Largent. So that tells me he has Seattle. no faith, yes, in the Washington football team. He will take the Seahawks. I have been to the Pike Place Market. I have seen the fish thrown. Is it fun? These are gigantic fish. They must weigh 40 pounds, 30 or 40 pounds. And they're they thrown about 40 feet. <laughs> and the guy catches them. It's, yes, it's great, great tourist fun. All right, we will get out of here. Um, Mark Feinstein will join us when we return. We have to talk about new managers in baseball and, and where Shohei Atani might or might not go. This week's picks with Chuck Todd and Reginald have been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. I'm Tony Kornheiser. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show.
Once again, this is Kimberly Walsh. This is a song called See the Good. Our great thanks to Andrew Flowers for sending in Kimberly's music. And Michael, if artists like Kimberly Walsh want to send in their music and have it played on the show, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. And I have a new promo code for Johnny O, TK Pecan. That'll be active Pecan. through their uh, Black Pecan. Friday. TK Pecan. Pecan. P-E-C-A-N. Uh, I'm rocking the quilted pullover today. Looks good. I uh, saw get a head start it. I said, where'd you get that? Shopping. TK You've been Pecan. dipping into the Johnny O stock. I take care of you. I'm still waiting for the lined pants to walk the dog in. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm waiting for the lined pants. Lovely. All right. Mark Feinstein joins us now. We are close to the end of baseball talk until, of course, free agency heats up. I just saw the other day that Sonny Gray is a free agent. He's going to get a lot of money from somebody. Nobody's going to get the money that Shohei Otani is going to get, and we'll get to that, but we need to talk about the managerial moves first. And I ask you this as somebody who pays attention to baseball. How unusual is the Craig Council move? Leaving on totally good terms, leaving a place where he managed well in Milwaukee, to take another job in, in division, take the Chicago Cubs job. Bob Melvin left uh, Oakland and crossed over leagues to go to San Diego and then left, and now he's out of San Diego. He got canned in San Diego, and he's now with the Giants. But the council thing is not unprecedented, but it seems to me it's rather unusual, right? Uh, it's definitely unusual. I mean, I'll give you 8 million reasons a year why it happened. Uh, but, you know, you look at, yeah. at yeah. council going to, to Chicago, and, of course, you know, they're a division rival, so that's yeah. uh, certainly peculiar. But he was a free agent. His contract was up, and... Uh, you know, the, the most interesting thing to me on the council thing is a lot of people looked at it and said, well, it's sort of dirty that he went after a job that was already filled. You know, he took somebody else's job away yes. from that as opposed to David you know, Ross. Bob Melvin went and Bob Melvin went and filled a vacant role in, yeah. uh, in San Francisco. You know, did council and his people reach out to the Cubs and say, hey, we're interested if you are? Or did the Cubs reach out to council and say, hey, we're interested if you are? Uh, and if it was the latter, then I, then I absolved council of any wrongdoing because... Uh, you know, in his mind, it may have been, well, they're, we're going to get rid of David Ross either way, and, and this is an opportunity for me. Uh, it certainly adds some spice to the Cubs-Brewers rivalry. Uh, you know, they're going to play each other 13 times. Of course, all of us out here in Scottsdale right now are saying, now the Brewers need to hire David Ross and really make this thing tasty. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but Ross is now a, apparently a candidate in San Diego, so he may land on his feet out there. Uh, it's peculiar. The Giants-Padres thing was even more peculiar to me, only because... Melvin was still employed there, and the Padres gave him permission to go speak to the Giants. And basically oh, said, okay. you want to go? Go. And that's fine. Okay. But you're letting a guy go to a division rival. So, um, you know, that was interesting. I think there was a little bit of a cross-up uh, in, in communication between him and A.J. Preller. So that relationship maybe wasn't the best. Uh, but, yeah, when you see guys leave for division rivals, uh, it always raises a bit of an eyebrow. So this is troubling for Wilbon. I mean, Wilbon has talked about this. He's a Cubs fan. And he hates the Brewers. They're the cheeseheads. He can't stand them. That doesn't mean he doesn't think Council's a really good manager, but he liked Ross. He's troubled by this. Is that a reasonable position for him to take? Well, I think so, only because Ross isn't just a guy there, right? Ross is a made man in Chicago. He's part of that 2016 team and and a bit of a cult hero there. And quite frankly, he did a pretty good job there last year. I mean, that was a team that, uh, you know, they brought in some guys, but they weren't expected to do much, and I know they kind of collapsed at the end there, 
but they were in the playoff race the whole way, right until the last you know day or two. Uh, and you know, you sort of thought, all right, they're going to add some players this winter, and and they're going to try to take another step next year. Uh, you wonder if Seiya Suzuki catches that fly ball in the outfield uh, with four days left in the season, and they don't blow that game in such horrific fashion. They have like a two-game lead on Arizona with four games to play. Not only did they maybe make the playoffs, none of this happens. Arizona doesn't even make the playoffs, doesn't get to the World Series. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things could have really hinged on on Suzuki catching that one fly ball. So it just shows you how, uh, you know, sort of how, how little tiny things that you may not think are huge uh, end up having really big ripple effects. Council was successful at Milwaukee, but not a knockout, never got to the World Series. He's getting $8 million a year. There's no other manager getting five. It. How do you explain that? Council's a really good manager. He's well thought of throughout the league, but he's one and nine in the playoffs. So, yeah. uh, you know, you sort of, you know, playoff series, you're sort of like, well, you know, if I could be 10% success rate and become the highest paid person in my industry, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, look, Council was talking to the Mets. He was talking to the Guardians. He was going to get a job. Uh, the Brewers, from what I understand, offered him $5.5 million a year to keep him, which would have made him the highest-paid manager in the game. Yes. Yeah. But the Cubs said $5.5 million, that's cute. Here's eight a year. And Council, Council was a nice player during his career, uh, and he made $22 million in his entire playing career, and now he's going to make $40 million over the next five years to manage the Cubs. So uh, the expectations will be jumped up now on him. Uh, the Cubs are, are, like I said, they, they took a nice you know turn this year and, and became a competitive team, but now you've brought in this manager. You're theoretically going to spend a little more money this offseason to bring in some more talent, and you know they're going to have a little bit of a bullseye on their back in the NL Central next year. I was, I was very interested in the statement that the Cubs management released. It was almost apologetic to David Ross. Didn't you get that sense? Yeah, and I think that goes back to what I said before. This was a very popular guy, and I think they knew that to some extent, and to a large part of their fan base, this was not going to be a popular move. No. As good as Craig Council is, they love David Ross. David Ross was their guy. As somebody said the other day, he was a made man in Chicago. You know, he was one of those guys who's never going to pay for a meal in that town again uh, after being part of that 2016 team. So you had to, this wasn't, just, you know, they did something similar with this uh, when Joe Madden came to Chicago. Rick Renteria had been hired. Yes. He managed one year, and Joe Madden became available, and they said, all right, Rick, thanks for everything. We're going to bring in this guy instead, even though you're still under contract. Uh, but Rick Renteria wasn't David Ross in terms of popularity. So I think the Cubs knew that uh, this was going to rub some people the wrong way, and they had to make it clear that this was more about the opportunity to bring in a guy who they thought was you know, arguably the best manager in the game in council, not because David Ross had done anything wrong. Um, many people thought that when David Stearns got the job with the New York Mets, being a Milwaukee guy, he was the one who was going to bring in counsel. Instead, they hired Carlos Mendoza. I am unfamiliar with Carlos Mendoza. Do you know him from the Yankees? I do. Obviously, I'm, I'm based in the New York area, and I'm around that team a bit. And, uh, Mendoza's a, a great guy, uh, very well-respected. Players really seem to, to respond to him. Uh, he's tough. He's got a bit of an edge. Really good baseball man uh, who can blend the analytics side with some of the old school stuff. So, uh, you know, the one thing I've heard about him through the years is he's been the bench coach. He's been with the Yankees organization in a variety of capacities. Uh, but the one thing the last four or five years that I keep hearing is this guy's going to be a manager at some point. And 
uh, you know, when there were the rumors that Aaron Boone might be on the hot seat in New York, Mendoza was a guy that I kept hearing he could be the next Yankee manager if, if things go south with Boone. Um, it reminds me a lot of what I heard for many years about Joe Espada in Houston, who's the front runner to get that Houston job right now. Uh, and, you know, Joe Espada uh, nearly got the job a few years ago when they hired Dusty Baker, but I think the Astros uh, owner, Jim Crane, at the time felt they needed to bring in a, an established veteran sort of adult in the room to help guide them through the, uh, the aftermath of, of the scandal. Uh, but Espada is another guy who I think will wind up with a managerial job. And it's, it's great to see guys like that get an opportunity. I hope that Espada does get that opportunity because he's been a, a really good soldier and a guy who's um, really earned the respect of the players. And, uh, you know, given that Dusty retired and it wasn't a, a situation where you fired the guy, uh, promoting the bench coach and sort of would be a seamless transition for Houston and um, you know, Mendoza knows the Mets, knows the New York market, having been with the Yankees for a number of years. Uh, I think it, it'll be a very good hire. Did you think Council was going to go to the Mets, though? Of course, I think yeah. everybody. I mean, from, yes. from the minute that yes. the minute that David Stearns left Milwaukee, and you sort of looked at it, you knew the Mets were going to pursue him uh, when his contract was up with Milwaukee, and then you said, "Wait a second, Council's contract is up that year too. Oh, this is going to be a package deal. He's he's going to New yeah. York." The speculation yeah. out there is that Council, who is from Wisconsin, his whole family lives out there, his kids are still, I believe, in high school and college, and, and they're all in the Midwest, uh, is that he just he wanted to stay in the Midwest. So now he's in Chicago, he's a 90-minute drive from home, uh, and you know he's not going to have to deal with, with uprooting okay. his family or, or being away from them for that long. So that was the speculation as, as to why he uh, ultimately chose to, to go to Chicago versus, versus going with Stearns to New York. Cleveland hired um, Terry Francona retired. Cleveland hired Stephen Vogt. What do we know about him? Uh, he played for a long time in the big leagues. He retired, I think, just two years ago. Uh, spent last year with the Mariners on our coaching staff. And uh, again, you know, catcher was one of those guys who everybody yeah. said he he will get into managing someday. Why uh, are so know, many catch- catchers managers? It's like eighty well, think- percent of them. Yeah, and and I and I talked to Joe Torre about that early in my career when I was covering him as the manager of the Yankees, and I think it's just that's a position where you have to see the whole field, you have to know hitting, you have to know fielding, you certainly have to know pitching. Uh, you know, if you're an outfielder, if you're a third baseman, you're not so involved in the pitching part of the game. Right. Uh, if you're the catcher, you're calling the game, and yeah. you know the entire pitching staff. And I think there's just a more uh, overall well-rounded view of the game from that position. And you're constantly having to think about how to pitch this guy, how, you know, how our defense is set up. Um, and then obviously you have the experience as a hitter as well. So I think there's just more, um, you know, you have a wider range of viewpoints for, of the game having played that position. And, uh, you know, Volt was a guy who was always very well thought of in terms of his approach to the game. Uh, very popular guy in his clubhouse all the time. And for Cleveland, uh, I think that's that's probably a good fit. It's a young team. They don't. They're not the team that goes out and spends a ton of money. We're not going to hear their name mentioned in the show here. Tiny sweepstakes this winter, right. uh, but but I think Vote is a, a good you know good gritty veteran kind of guy uh, as a player who that should translate as a young manager. Thank you for mentioning um, the Otani sweepstakes. I'll get you out of here on this. Do you have any particular thoughts? Any inkling as to where he would go, where he is leaning? So I was talking to a lot of the GM meetings right now, and I was talking to a bunch of the, the GMs yesterday about this, and uh, most of them said, well, you have to consider the Dodgers to be the front runner. 
Right. We've been hearing that for a year. They have plenty of money. Uh, he likes Southern California. It all lines up if the Dodgers are willing to spend the money. The question is now that he's not going to pitch in 2024, how much will that impact their desire to go after him and, or anybody's desire? And how much will that affect the bottom line of the number of dollars he's going to get? Uh, I still think he's going to get over $500 million. I still think he's going to wind up probably with the Dodgers. I think the teams to watch are the Dodgers, the Giants, the Red Sox, and the Mets. I think those are probably the four that we will ultimately um, hear. Seattle will be in the mix. Texas could be in the mix. Uh, I don't think the Yankees are going to be out there, but it's going to be the Dodgers. I asked one GM, I said, how do you think the Otani thing that plays out? He said, I have absolutely no idea, but I can tell you one thing. He's going to get signed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, sure. well, that's a pretty good prediction. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's yeah. going to get signed, too. I think <laughs> you're really going out on a limb on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about him. I mean, I, I'm he's in that New Balance commercial. And he is totally charming to look at. But, of course, he's not speaking. I don't have any idea how much English he knows, how comfortable he is speaking English. I have no idea, for example, if he wants to be on the West Coast because it's an easier trip back to Japan. You know, I just don't know. I mean, I don't don't know how it works. I'm not sure any of us know that. And that's why when you hear... People talk about, oh, the Red Sox are going to take a big run at him or the Mets could be interested. I don't know if he wants to go to the East Coast or not. Ultimately, in these things, money usually wins out. And if Steve Cohen decides, I'm giving him $650 million and he outbids everybody else by $100 million, (laughs) guess what? He'll be wearing one of those I Love New York Um, (laughs) t-shirts. But I I think, you know, the one interesting aspect of Otani besides the the on-field stuff is he is the most marketable player in the game and not just here. In the you, world. Whatever team the world. whatever team signs him is going to make a lot of money in international sponsorships from Japanese companies. Uh, and it's going to pay for a lot of that contract on its own. Um, I, I don't know. I've only met him a few times and, and talked to him a few times, you know, in groups through translators. I don't know what his English uh, mm-hmm. situation is. Ichiro Suzuki spoke better English than I did. And yet he did... Uh, all of his interviews in Japanese because he was just more comfortable that way. And he was, uh, but you could talk to him on the side and have a perfectly good conversation with him uh, and almost be surprised at some of the words that he used in English. I don't know if Otani's there yet. I don't know if it's necessary for it to be there yet. Uh, Mike Trout speaks great English. Have you ever heard him speak? So I don't know. I don't know that that's a necessity, but like you said, Otani's in this New Balance commercial that we see on TV every time we watch any game. Looks great. Uh, and looks, looks great. great. Looks like you want him guys. for your best friend. Oh, he looks exactly. great. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, you know, the marketability that Otani brings and the ticket yeah, sales that he's going to bring and the sponsorships, this is, this is a player uh, that brings so much more than your average free agent, even when we're talking about the Trey Turners and the, and the you know, Carlos Correa's of the world, these big-time free agents. Uh, I think the only one I can think of who's been nearly as marketable in recent memory is probably Judge. Uh, because yeah. the Yankees, the pinstripes, he's a you know big, giant, strapping guy. He's, you know, set the home run record, uh, and I think he's certainly a marketable guy. But Otani is, is a different level because of the worldwide aspect. Ah, you're 100% right. Thank you. Enjoy the uh, meetings, the baseball meetings. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Tony. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Mueller and the Boone County High drumline in Florence, Kentucky. They're sort of dueling with the Cane Bay Choir. Love the drumline. Yeah. Is that a xylophone at the beginning, do you think? It sounds like it. It sounded like a xylophone. That was pretty cool. Uh, Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, my friend, and you will be thrilled. That's going to do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say it's the same old story everywhere I go. I get slandered, libeled. I hear words I never heard in the Bible, and I'm one step ahead of the shoe shine, two steps away from the county line, just trying to keep my customers satisfied. Satisfied. That is early. Paul Simon and Artie Garfunkel. And that's a great tune. Yes, it is. Thanks to our guests today, Chuck Todd and Mark Feinsand. Thanks to our sponsors today. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Let me get to some emails here. From Wynn Mossman. Knock three times absolutely crushes tie a yellow ribbon in a contest for worst song ever. Knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. How about knock just one more time and I'm throwing my big sister single speaker record player out the window. Uh, from Kate Mihawk, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Is there? Oh, Mihawk. Yes, Mihawk in New Orleans. During Friday's show, when I heard about the gentleman who implored his wedding band not to play tired yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, I said out loud, hey, I know that situation. When the man I'm related to by marriage and I got married in 2001, we did what most people do. We met with the head of the band several weeks before the wedding to talk about our likes and dislikes. Things were progressing smoothly until the very end when I turned to the lead singer and said very quietly but forcefully, if you play Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin, you will not get paid. I imagine he was shocked by my passion about a seemingly harmless tune, but being the professional he was, he nodded and said he understood. Fast forward to the wedding reception, and we noticed that the makeup of the band had changed. Turns out the fearless head of the band was home recovering from an emergency appendectomy, and in his selfishness, neglected to share our preferences with the rest of the band. So, of course, at some point during the reception, I heard the familiar start to the dreaded song, but before I had a chance to admonish the band, 100s, and I mean 100s, of our relatives stormed the dance floor in sheer uninhibited glee. Even Ann Wendy, who hadn't moved more than five feet at a time in 20 years, jumped up to dance to the catchy tune. My husband and I looked at each other, shrugged sheepishly, and went off to join the crazy revelry. Needless to say, we not only paid the band, we gave them a large tip. From Jim Downey, and it's in Lake Orion. Orion is how it's pronounced, right? Orion. You yes. sort of combine the two there. The residents of Lake Orion... Orion did not offer any information Orion. on Connor Stallions to Chuck Culpepper. You know what other Orion resident they didn't tell the Washington Post much about? Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, Jimmy Hoffa was a resident of the small lake community and his family maintained a home there for many years. From Lee Gordon, Chuck and Roxy, episode 80 in Boynton Beach, Florida. 
Dr. Heiser, or may I call you corn? Well, the nuts.com people call me corn. Like yours, and I ordered yesterday. <clears throat> I ordered. Like yours, my memory isn't what it used to be, so I also forget the correct pronunciation of Lake Orion almost immediately after I hear it. But I just thought of a mnemonic device that might do the trick. Oreo cookies. It's Orion, like Oreo. As long as I don't start calling it Lake Hydrox, I think I'll be good. <laughs> P.S. Pretty sneaky of Matt and Jennifer for Cincinnati to invite Tony Beeson to crash their wedding. <clears throat> they probably just want to get away with the, with not having to pay for a piano. Player. I miss the days of the Oreo versus Hydrox taste test. Hydrox mm. is better. <clears throat> Except for the taste test from where you Jason chose Blaz- Oreos. Blazer, who is our original emailer from Lake Orion. Dr. Tony, I needed to let you know about another David Aldridge moment I had today. I was listening to the pod, and you mentioned your Lake Orion correspondent, and I was like, I know that guy. I am that guy. And that, boys and girls, is how you get mentioned on the pod. Have the woman to whom you're related by marriage uproot you and move you to a silly pronounced city in a cold state with dumb driving laws. (laughs) Then have a kid from the local high school football, maybe or maybe not, talk to Jim Harbaugh about some football goings-on. From the Reverend Mark Schaefer. I was thinking about how best to help you with your Lake Orion conundrum. My first thought was to tell you to imagine how you would pronounce the name if you had never been told it was an unusual pronunciation. Chances are you would say Orion, like the constellation. I would then tell you to say the opposite. It's the opposite of what you would otherwise say. However, it occurred to me that asking you to go through this process every time is a likely non-starter. And so instead, I've come up with what I believe to be an elegant solution. Commit to a pronoun that you know is wrong. To that end... I suggest Orion, or if you can give that last syllable a little French nasal quality, I think that would be the kicker. And then he has other things. He says, consider Orion, Irun, Orsman, Orida, Uganda, U-Haul, and A-Rod. You're welcome. (laughs) From William Marcus in Maui, the mnemonic is this, Lake Orion, the picture of Dorian Gray. You even read this on the air once, Grandpa. Ooh, I forget. Roy Mathewson, Colorado Springs. Thanks to you, Mr. Tony. I know more about Washington area sports clubs than I do about teams of my youth or state. And it makes me sad to see the Wizards are on a pace to get 45 losses before they break the nine-win threshold. What did they say in Philadelphia? Trust the process. There is no process for the Wizards. Giving up a lot of points. There's no process. (laughs) They stink beyond words. Their best two players play no defense at all. Kuzma and Poole. They don't even consider playing defense. They gave up 75 the other night in the first half to Philadelphia. They've, they gave up Oof. 75 in the first half to Indiana a week and a half ago. They stink. They don't even try to play defense. They're giving up. I don't know this for a fact, so maybe Nigel can look it up. I would guess they're giving up more points than any team in the league on average, certainly in the bottom three. They're terrible. They're absolutely terrible. And And – you know, you, you can always, your offense sometimes doesn't work. Your defense can always work. They don't want to play it. It's not demanded of them, and they don't want to play it. It's so obvious. Yes, Steve, they are. In fact, they're giving up 128.7 points per game. It's terrible. The, the worst in the league. It's yes. just, they stink. Yeah. Uh, Steve, the sycophant, just wanted to let you know that the Hallmark Channel is really going literary. Showing now on that august network is Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe, in which the heroine, Darcy, returns to her hometown for Christmas and reconnects with Luke, a former rival. If that wasn't enough, there's also a Dickens of a holiday, where a woman invites an actor and former high school classmate to play Scrooge in a Christmas carol. It's like a warm wave of melted mistletoe poured over a yuletide bowl of charred chestnuts. Enjoy. Tim in Hyattsville. (laughs) Here's my impression of Mr. Tony if he were cast as Jim Lovell in Apollo 13 instead of Tom Hanks. Houston, we have a problem. I don't understand why. What am I? I don't really get that. 
This is great from old Elliot Olshansky. When I saw the title of Monday's show, Not a Chicken Tender Kind of Guy, I was hoping you would finally be discussing the diet of Sam Howell as the quarterback of Washington's alleged football team eats no meat other than chicken, mostly in the form of nuggets and tenders. While his record with the alleged football team is underwhelming, I think it's safe to say that no Washington quarterback had been such a perfect fit for the show as Mr. Howell, who brings to life the immortal words of Alan Arkin. For Howell, after all, every night it really is the bleeping chicken. <laughs> Obviously, that was not the case, but perhaps you will take an interest now that it's been brought to your attention. Hopefully it's not the dino nugs. Best regards from <laughs> Suffolk County, where I was unable to bet on Monday night's battle of PTI between Binghamton and Northwestern because New York law prohibits betting on college games that involves New York schools. I didn't know that. Um, John Fitzpatrick, that John Fitzpatrick in Arvada or Arveda, Colorado. I have one key follow-up question for Wilbon about his donning of a Northwestern jersey and serenading the crowd at Wrigley. Tucked or untucked? Inquiring minds want to know. Untucked. Untucked. Uh, Joe Defoe, St. Simons Island, Georgia. One of your older fans at 80. You should have taken Wilbon's offer of 19 and a half with Binghamton holding the final gap to 11. Start of a good season? I hope so. Um, DG sends us a picture of the eighth tee on the championship course. Uh, and says, spent $500 at your favorite Publix last week. Great fresh bread. <laughs> but $500 worth of bread? What are you, nuts? And then pictures of the eighth tee at the championship course at um, PGA West. Not PGA. Is it PGA? PGA National? PGA National, yeah. Okay, Charlie Warren, Fort Smith, Arkansas. This is very long because it's got a lot of pictures. It's very nice. I had a school business officials conference in D.C. I drove around town with a wife, and I stopped at Calvert Woodley. When she realized what I was doing, she was not amused. She would not join me in the photos attached. She would only take the one inside covertly. Can you feel the disdain and contempt she held for me oozing from the photo she took? If that wasn't enough, one evening during the conference, I went to the Story District for an open mic night. I met Neville, and we both told a story from the stage. Yes, that Neville. Neville. Oh, Neville, as you called him, was promoting the next Story District event as you read his email. I had a David Aldrich moment. I didn't know it. Now I have a new story for the next time. And he's got lovely pictures. And, and do you know that Calvert Woodley has a, a sign that says, Home of La Cheeserie? Yes. Have they had that forever? For years. And he's right yes. in front of the Cheeserie, which is, as I, as I cannot counter. stress enough, it's a six-foot-long cheese counter. That's what it is. <laughs> nice samples. Yeah. If you're Good out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who is Tony? Tony Kornheiser. Who is that? It's a PTI guy on ESPN. Okay. <laughs> Ari.
If I just say the good, then. 